Welcome to Pediatric Grand Rounds. It is um, April 10th, believe it or not, 2019. Spring break is on the way. And um, we hope to see uh, many of you down tomorrow night in Manchester at the All Chat meeting. We also today have a, a double Grand Rounds, actually. It's a double Grand Rounds day, and at noon, Dr. David Finkelhor is going to present uh, at our noon conference slot. What, what room is it in? I didn't put that. G, G, I think. Auditorium G, so right up. Auditorium G, people are pretty con convinced on uh, screening for adverse childhood experiences. And tomorrow is the um, annual Shield Our Children from Harm conference, I believe, here. Uh, and he'll be a keynote speaker. So much going on. But we kick off the day with Dr. Joel Sarmiento, our graduating uh, resident uh, presenting the Grand Rounds today, a native of Texas. Uh, Joel is... Um, uh, graduated from the Texas A&M University in, um, with a Bachelor of Science degree. I won't say when, because then he spent significant time <laughs> teach. He spent significant time teaching and, 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 and engaged in research at Alta Therapeutics in Georgia, as well as in Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, before um, returning to his native Texas to receive his doctorate in medicine, the University of Texas School of Medicine at San Antonio also picking up a Master of Science along the way. He, he did come uh, with a degree of greater maturity than many of our interns, and I think has uh, demonstrated that through his, through his years. He will be heading back to Texas to practice uh, general pediatrics uh, near his home community uh, in Austin, not, not as close to Houston as where he grew up, but served as a team physician at Hartford Middle School, Middle School during his time here and has a deep interest in, in promoting activity and active youth and doing sports medicine, and we were able to help, uh, help him appreciate that can be well done and importantly done in the community in a general pediatrics practice. So Dr. Sarmiento is going to continue an important theme we've heard about um, through uh, perhaps more illustrious speakers in the past couple of months, but, but no, better, no better talks probably than what we're going to hear this morning. So... Come on up. So mature was a nice way of saying older. <laughs> um, okay. So, buenos dias por estar aquí hoy. Uh, whoops, wrong audience. Let me <laughs> start over. So thank you, everyone, for being here today. Um, about four weeks ago, Dr. Joan um, Reed, who is the Dean of Office of Diversity, Inclusion, and Community at uh, Harvard Medical School, gave an inspiring grand rounds on diversity, inclusion, and, and belonging. She gave a great foundation on the topic, and today I would like to build on that and continue the conversation while focusing a little bit more on our local community. Um, it, would also, it will also be from my perspective, from a male, Latino, low-income status, non-traditional student. Uh, I will be telling part of my story as well, which for those of you who don't know me, I like interacting with other people and I like hearing about their stories, um, but it's a little bit difficult for me to share about myself. Um, so I want to thank those who have encouraged me, especially my wife, Carla, for... Um, for, that I have a, for saying that I have a story to tell and that I have something important to share. Um, parts of what I'm going to talk about are difficult and uncomfortable. It will be for you and for me. Um, but I think it's important to discuss so we can move forward and make progress. 
And it's okay if you laugh at times. Um, from what I'm taught, um, uh, humor is a mature defense me mechanism, <laughs> and what I usually use. Um, so as my title says, I will be talking about the uh, pi uh, pipeline project or the pilot project that I did in Central uh, High School in Manchester. Um, and how it relates to increasing diversity in medicine. Um, as far as, I don't have any disclosures, and as far as the objectives, um, I wanna talk a little bit about the background and context of diversity in medicine, and then um, about the pipeline project, uh, pilot project that I did at Central High School, and then also about the um, uh, minorities' residents' views and experiences on diversity in medicine. But I want to start off first by telling my story. Um, and to help understand my perspective and the lens in which I see issues that pertain to diversity, uh, my parents grew up in Mexico in villages about a couple hours apart uh, from each other. They both separately moved to the same town in Texas as undocumented immigrants in their 20s and later married. And uh, more accurately, they crossed uh, the Rio Grande under the cover of dark darkness to avoid border patrol. Fortunately, in time, both of my parents became U.S. citizens. My parents never went to high school and had moved in hopes of a better life. My parents didn't learn much English. They didn't have to. A lot of uh, their relatives and friends had moved to the area, and so um, they really didn't have to. Um, but... They had moved, uh, my parents and friends and family and relatives had moved there in search of a better life. Um, they were either going to find work at one of the local chicken processing plants or lumber mills in the area. My father found work at one of the lumber mills and my mother found work at a chicken processing plant. Uh, my father recently retired a few years, years ago and my mother currently still works at Tyson Processing Chicken. The town I grew up in uh, was located in the Piney Woods of East Texas, about two hours north of Houston. Uh, we lived in a mobile home, the one you see there with my mother at the window. Had no central heat or air, had two bedrooms. One room was for my parents and the other was for my older sister. My brother and I shared a bed in the living room until I was about in middle school when my parents divorced and I went to live with my father and my brother and sister stayed with my mother. This is also about the same time <clears throat> that my brother, my older brother, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Luckily, he has only residual left-sided weakness and has had a long life and is a father of two. And as you can probably guess, um, is his issues are one of the reasons I chose a career in medicine. My parents, though, didn't, though, didn't go to high school. They always stressed education and as did my aunts and uncles with their kids. So my parents encouraged that little boy you see there, <laughs> rocking the Superman shirt, uh, to pursue education. And my parents, my aunts, uncles, knew education was going to help this next generation be successful in this country. And it proved to be true. Um, the generation that my cousins I belong to um, demonstrated a tremendous amount of upward mobility. Our parents were farmers who grew up in villages and came to Texas to become laborers, which to them was the American dream of having a steady job and food on the table. 
In the generation of my cousins and I, there were teachers, business owners, engineers, radiology techs, police, police officers, an FBI agent, PhDs, an attorney, and an MD. So this, this story, my story, is the lens of how I interpret diversity inclusion and is a framework of kind of all that uh, I will talk about today. So the next, um, I want to talk about, give a little background and context about diversity in medicine and we'll go over a few key <coughs> concepts. So URM uh, stands for underrepresented in, med in medicine. Um, it, in the past it used to mean underrepresented minority. And the AAMC defines it as those racial and ethnic populations that are underrepresented in the medical profession relative to the number in the general population. This traditionally includes those who identify as African American and or black, Hispanic, Latino, Native American, Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander. Uh, this definition can also be used to uh, refer to students who come from a disadvantaged backgrounds and but when I mention um, URM I'm specifically going to be talking about black or African-American Hispanic or Latino American Indian or Alaskan Native um, and Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander but mostly um, black and Latino <clears throat> so diversity is the diversity of unique characteristics perspectives and life experiences that define us as individuals. Um, it is diversity of people, experiences, uh, perspective, cultures, more than just race, ethnicity, and gender, sexual or orientation. And diversity alone, though, doesn't mean everyone will feel welcome, are valued, or given opportunity to grow. And this is where uh, inclusion comes in. Uh, inclusion is creating an environment where all individuals contribute fully, feel valued, are engaged and supported to reach their full potential. Um, power and voice are given to all. And equity is the fair treatment, access, opportunity, and advancement of all individuals. Uh, it recognizes that advantages and barriers exist and that as a result, we all we, we all don't start from the same place and need to make opportunities more equitable. Next, um, pipeline programs. Um, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about that. They're designed specifically to increase the matriculation of URM students to medical school. Um, in 1985, the U.S. Uh, government produced a, a study called the Secretary's Task Force for a Report on Black and Minority Health. It's also called the Heckler Report, and um, this is uh, one of the major reports that brought health disparities more to the forefront. And some of the fi findings they had in this report is that there were excess deaths that occur in minority populations compared to whites. Uh, deaths from diabetes were higher among uh, Mexican-born um, Hispanic females and infant mortality was higher in black populations compared to um, whites. And one of the results of this <clears throat> report is that pipeline programs were started by many different organizations in order to help increase uh, the diversity of, this, of medical professionals in hopes that this would help reduce uh, health disparities. Um, and these pipeline programs uh, have many different forms. Most include some kind of 
uh, academic enrichment in basic sciences, clinical exposure, uh, science, uh, sessions on health professions as a career, and uh, sessions on uh, medical admissions process. And they start many uh, stages of education. Most of them are for college students, but they can go all the way down to elementary school. And there's kind of a more recent drive to um, go lower because uh, some studies have been indicated that the earlier uh, URM students enter the pipeline, the more likely they are um, um, to stay, or they're less likely they are to leave or leak from this pipeline. And that's what's quote unquote called the leaky pipeline. Opportunity gap is the disparity in access um, to quality schools and inequitable distribution of resources uh, and opportunities for students. It refers to the fact that arbitrary circumstances in which people are born, such as their race, ethnicity, zip code, and uh, socioeconomic status, determine their opportunities in life rather than all people having a chance to achieve the best of their, their potential. And so achievement, achievement gap is a less commonly used term and is something that refers to the disparity in academic outcomes between lower income students who often are people of color, um, non-native English speakers, and those living in rural communities uh, compared to their affluent peers. Um, Opportunity gap um, places responsibility on an inequitable system rather than the students. Um, and so some schools have more resources than others, basically. Um, but these opportunity gaps can occur within a school system as well. Um, for example, in elementary school, uh, I went to a school where there was about third um, black students, a third white students, and a third uh, uh, Latino, Latinx students. And um, the photo you see here is of the junior high. So you can see that sports were important, but <laughs> I couldn't find uh, a picture of the elementary school. But anyway, in this school, they had a uh, GT program or a gifted and talented program. And uh, these programs are designed to identify and sti stimulate quote unquote gifted kids. Um, and nationally, these programs are extremely underrepresented by URMs. And so with these programs, you're first nominated by a teacher and then, um, and or, or the parent, and then comes an IQ test. Uh, I was not part of this GT program at our school. I was never nominated by a teacher. My parents who didn't speak English didn't know how to nominate me, and much less that the program even existed. And, and within the program in our school, there weren't really any people of color in that program. And later when I was able to kind of contextualize what had happened, I was frustrated by it. Um, this is not meant to demean the other students who were in there. They were all smart, but I knew I made the same grades as, as, as they did, and I should have been asked to be part of this GT program. I should have been given an equal and equitable opportunity to participate. So um, this opportunity gap is a systemic problem and not a student achievement problem. It is a factor that can deter uh, URM students pursuing a career in me medicine and uh, contributing uh, to the lack of diversity. Minority tax is a burden of extra responsibilities placed on minorities in their respective field in the name of diversity. 
In many medical schools and uh, residencies, the strategy of creating more diversity uh, in the workplace usually relies on the efforts of a few minority faculty and residents. The, this issue of minority tax has been well documented among faculty and, and medical students um, and can be something that um, occurs, hinders, hinders entering into the pipeline, URMs entering the pipeline, but also it can occur at any stage of education. Um, again, at that elementary school that, that um, I was a part of, there was an in, undocumented in, immigrant who came about mid-school year um, who was from Mexico, and at that time there was no ESL teachers, no Spanish teachers, and so I was given the task of teaching this new math material to the Spanish student while learning the math material at the same time. So this minority task can interfere with academic success. So why diversity in medicine? Um, the scope of this presentation is not necessarily to cover all aspects of why diversity is important, um, but I do want to talk about a few things about its value. Um, patients do receive better care if doctors are from the same race and ethnicities. URM physicians are more likely to serve minority, poor, rural communities, and URM physicians tend to return to the communities they are from. So, so my intention was not necessarily to go back to Texas, but that is what's happening in my case. I am going back. Um, Diversity in medicine also increases cultural competency. Here in the Upper Valley, there's not much diversity. Nevertheless, Geisel and DHMC are sending med students, residents, and fellows nationwide. And they, we should be culturally competent to treat all communities. So diversity should be important to us. It has benefits in uh, other things than just medical as well, in industry as well. Um, there's one study that found that businesses that had equal representation of women had better sales and organizational performance. Um, and diversity also, um, a diverse and representative health care workforce also helps reduce health disparities. At least that is what the thought is. Um, the following is really difficult for me to share because it's really personal and made me so upset, but will help illustrate why diversity is important. And so my father, again, who doesn't know much English, just two weeks ago told me about a recent experience. His PCP had referred him to a specialist for a private medical reason. And the first thing that this specialist, um, this white male specialist told my father was, hola, muchas mujeres which translates to, hi, lots of women. <laughs> it's like, what does that even mean? It's like, it was a very poor attempt, I guess, to try to connect with my father. There was no translator to help him. Um, and later, he had a <clears throat> minor procedure from this specialist. He was not told the risks or benefits uh, of the procedure. If he was, he didn't understand them. Um, he told me he, he wasn't. He wasn't told. He didn't know why he had to have the procedure. So my father never gave informed consent. 
for this. He was told to have the procedure, so he did. My father didn't want to tell me and burden me with this, but I was like, this is one of the reasons why I became a doctor. <laughs> you know? My father is tough, he's stubborn, and this is someone who once had a degloving injury to his finger, finished up what he was working on, an hour later went to the hospital and didn't even want to tell me. The only reason he told me was because he thought I would be upset that uh, if my brother or sister happened to tell me. <laughs> as tough and stubborn as my old man is, he deserves proper care. And even though my father, who has a son, who is a doctor, sorry, he is affected by health disparities. So we need a diverse and representative healthcare workforce. Sorry, that was hard for me. Um, and um, so let's 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 move on and see if we are actually representing um, what the population of the U.S. is. So this is the U.S. Census. Uh, 2017 estimates by race and ethnicity, and this is percentages. Um, so there's 18.1% Hispanic or Latinx. There's 13.4 black or African-American, um, and not many uh, American Indian Alaska Natives or Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islanders. Um, and so this is uh, the U.S. physician workforce by race, race and ethnicity percentages from 2013, which um, I got from AAMC, which is a little off, but it's still, uh, as far as dates, but it's still pretty representative. Um, and so we're not doing so hot here. Like Hispanic or Latin, Latinx, black or African Americans um, are not well represented by the U.S. workforce as far as physicians. And so this is um, the trend of U.S. Medical school, medical school matriculants by race and ethnicity. Um, and the red line is the black or African-American students. Uh, the blue line is Hispanic and Latinx uh, students. So you can't really tell by the graph, but the, the absolute numbers are increasing. But it's not enough to change uh, the representation of uh, the matriculants. This is the trend of medical school graduates by sex. Um, and the percentage of female graduates has been increasing steadily and are now about half of the graduates. We didn't get here by accident. This took effort, resources, and time. Um, and the same is likely required for racial and ethnic diversity. So what do, what are we doing here locally? Uh, Geisel does have um, a plan for diversity and inclusion and respectful workplace. And with this, within this plan, they do have a mission for diversity, but um, it's also included within the institutional mission as well, or diversity is, um, although it's not part of the Dartmouth College's mission statement. And so the Geisel's uh, mission statement is to improve the lives of the communities we serve through excellence, learning, discovery, and healing, and to foster an inclusive, diverse community uh, that reflects our world and addresses the most challenges, challenging issues in healthcare. And they're also guided by um, AAMC's uh, diversity statement, 
which says um, the Association of American Medical Colleges is deeply committed to increasing diversity in medical schools. This commitment extends to the uh, increasing the commitment extends to increasing the number of minority physicians available to serve the nation's growing minority population, expanding areas of research undertaken by medical academics, and raising general cultural competence of all physicians. So let's let's how see how we're doing faculty wise. So the red line and under is uh, what notes URM faculty. And so we're not doing so well with that as far as Geisel faculty. Um, uh, so there can, there's room for improvement there. I will say that they've made great strides with uh, female representation and a five, of, five out of the department chairs are women now, which uh, prior to 2015 there was really only one. And what about um, Geisel medical students? So this is uh, really the only data that I was able to find about student diversity. And so the class of 2015 contains 11 African-American or black matriculants, which is 12% of uh, the class, and uh, 12 students who are Hispanic, which is 13% of the class. Uh, these are actually better than national uh, percentages of matriculants. Um, but the class is relatively small, and you can have a lot of fluctuance from year to year. As you can see from 2016, there's less representation from um, um, black and Latino, where um, the 2016 class only had 6.5% black matriculants and 10.9% Latino matriculants. So it's still better than national averages, but um, worse than the previous year. And so Geisel uh, does have a few pipeline programs that they're affiliated with. Um, I didn't mention this earlier, but uh, the Liaison Committee on Medical Education, or the LCME, who's uh, responsible for accreditation for U.S. medical schools, has uh, one element, element 3.3, that requires all U.S. allopathic medical schools to be, um, so to have some kind of diversity pipeline program or partnership. So it is a requirement for all medical schools. Um, and uh, the Southern Illinois one is one of their best established. Um, and then the Xavier one is out of New Orleans, New Orleans, which is a historically black university. Let's see, and let's see how we're doing here though. So, this is not, this is also not very representative of the U.S. population. So Hispanic, the numbers have actually been pretty stable, like around the same, but um, yeah, 5.2 Hispanic Latinos, by the way, you're welcome, uh, <laughs> is not really representative of the U.S. Uh, population. So I think we could do a little bit better to, to uh, increase diversity here. And because diversity in medicine is important to me, and and I also get a, I also enjoy helping others. I also enjoy helping URM students pursue a career in medicine. I decided to create a pilot project um, at uh, uh, Central High School in Manchester. 
Um, in medical school, I used to volunteer for a pipeline program um, called Teen Medical Academy, or TMA, and I used them as a template um, to, for how I wanted my project to be. So I did have a target population of economically disadvantaged URM students in high school, and um, my purpose was try to increase their interest in a career in healthcare to hopefully increase the diversity in medicine. Um, and then I wanted this program to be sustainable, longitudinal um, as well. Um, I, I didn't go about wanting to create a, a project um, like this at Central High School. I wanted to just volunteer. Um, I don't want to split resources if there was something already present, but I really didn't find anything um, that I wanted to be a, or could be a part of here or, or a pipeline project type thing here. What I did find was Health Career Institute at Dartmouth. Um, that is part of the Dartmouth Institute. And it, this does play a part in helping high school students get into medical school. Um, it has a purpose, and I think it's a great program. It's for high school students who are in 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. But it costs $1,700 for New Hampshire students uh, for this summer six-week program, and $2,500 for out-of-state um, students. They do have some limited scholarships, but they're only available for New Hampshire students. Um, and if we're honest, though, this creates inequity. It makes those who have money more competitive and those from low SES uh, status less competitive. So that's one of the reasons I, I, I created um, this kind of pilot project. And so I went about trying to find a school to uh, do this with. Um, and there's not much diversity in the Upper Valley again. <laughs> uh, this is the uh, percentage of minority students in high school. And so this is Hanover, Lebanon, Hartford, Windsor, Claremont, <laughs> Concord. Okay, we're getting somewhere. We're in, we're in we're Manchester. So this is Manchester School, uh, um, the Manchester School of Technology, Memorial, West, and Central. And so um, this is this is kind of why I picked Central High School because it had 37% uh, minorities, which is um, uh, had the biggest percentage. And there were some others, but it would have been too far to go to as well. Um, at least this was manageable. So I went about planning, and first I needed to establish a relationship with the high school. I ended up emailing the advisor, Ellen Terigny, um, uh, the science club advisor, Ellen Terigny, who also happened to be the head science teacher at the school, and asked her if there was any interest, and she was super excited about it. And so um, we went about trying to do a program there. She was also uh, the one who helped me recruit the high school students who wanted to participate in the program. And next, more planning came. Um, I emailed the coordinator from the Teen Medical Academy and got permission to use some of their material. And so I mo modeled some of that project curriculum that we used there and used it in, in uh, the program I did. Um, and also... Um, recruited some medical student volunteers and trained them in a few things like splinting, uh, using plaster, and doing some suturing or simple interrupted sutures. 
Um, so I had this initial idea of what I wanted the project to look like. Um, Anisa's assessment, though, showed that I needed to make it a little bit more feasible for the school and for the students. Originally, I wanted to do kind of one session um, on Saturdays about every two months or so. But with discussion with Ms. Terigny, um, uh, this, this would have, this program would work best as a pilot. Um, and it also would have, we also set it up to be um, several sessions in one day. So we just went down there one day and had about um, um, five sessions. So each session, <clears throat> and so that's what we did in spring of 2018. Um, each session was about 50 minutes long and students were allowed to go to one or all of them. In the first five minutes, I just talked a little bit about medicine and how to get there. The, the uh, next five minutes, I talked a little bit about knowledge content, um, just kind of went over a few things. And then the rest of the time, the medical students, uh, the medical student volunteers, uh, helped them learn some skills. Like they helped them use an otoscope, ophthalmoscope. They did some simple interrupted sutures and uh, a short arm pla uh, splint with plaster. Um, and the medical students who volunteered did, did great. They did an amazing job. Um, there were a huge reason why I think this was successful. Um, the, real, the high school students really seemed engaged. We also had good representation as far as volunteers, uh, including me. There was one Latino, one Latina, one African-American female, one Afghan male, and one uh, white female. Here you can see uh, one of the high school students listening to uh, lung sounds with a stethoscope. Um, I was able to obtain uh, all the supplies through a grant. I spoke with Kathy Stocker and Steve, Dr. Steve Chapman, um, and they're part of the Boyle Community Pediatrics, and with their grant, I was able to get all the, the uh, material that needed uh, um, to do this program. And so here you see um, a couple of students practicing a plaster splint. Um, and uh, I didn't mention this, but I also did a pre and a post survey to try to get some data. Um, and I used a five point uh, Likert type scale. As with most programs who do these types of programs, uh, they're trying to see uh, what their program, if their program has any effect on the attitudes of the students. So 26, I had an end of 26 responses survey. Uh, students only filled out one survey if they had already, if they hadn't been to uh, a previous session. Um, and so let's, let's look at a little bit of the data. So there's not really much trend for age. Uh, had a good um, kind of spectrum. It did show that mostly females participated. And this is pretty much the same across the board for most pipeline programs. It's difficult to recruit male URM students and to keep them in the pipeline. And at first um, glance, I didn't think I had many minority students that participated. Comparatively, probably not, but this is actually pretty um, uh, representative of the URM students that attend the school. So there were 30% minorities at this school, uh, or 30% minorities, yes, at this school, and 35% um, uh, minorities participated in the survey. A lot of them worked, which can interfere with opportunity. 
One of them was even a parent, which I can't even imagine how difficult that would be. And this was, I uh, thought it was good, that at least uh, one parent was involved in health care. And uh, this was also very surprising to me, and I thought it was really great. The gray, the yellow, and the uh, green uh, are showing that at least there's at least some college participation from parents. So about 75% had at least one parent who had gone to college, which is, I thought was impressive. And here you see that about 75% had never participated in the healthcare program like this. So I think this shows that there is a need. So let's take a little bit, a little look at the data. So this is, uh, again, a five-point Likert scale. Um, I only had about 55% do the surveys. Um, there was about seven to 20 students in each session, and again, if they only if they had already been to one, they didn't fill out another survey. Um, and so, though the data wasn't statistically significant, there was some trend to significance. So, the first uh, kind of section, the one that says "interested," is um, I asked them if they were interested in becoming a doctor, and um, Again, it was not statistically significant, but it was kind of trending that way. The middle part is asking if they thought they fit in with doctors or medical students. And, um, and again, this was not statistically significant, but there was an improvement. Um, I think part of that was that I just didn't have enough uh, respondents to the survey. I didn't have enough power. Um, and then the last thing I just want to point out is that all of them were interested in going to college, which I thought was also great. So wh where do I go with this program? So I, I think it showed a few things. So the need is there um, uh, for some type of pipeline pro program within the area. I know for sure there's one there at Central High School. Um, and then it is feasible. Um, we can do a program at this school. I still have a lot of the blood, uh, have the blood pressure cuffs, the pulse oxes, um, autoscopes, ophthalmoscopes, suturing material. So if someone wanted to do this again or make it as a longitudinal, which I wasn't able to do, but it also was a pilot project. So uh, I was just wanting to see if it was feasible. And then uh, I would also like to involve others in the future if someone were to continue this, um, opening this program to other residents may make this, uh, if it grows, uh, would allow them to have enough volunteers. So let's uh, take a look a little bit um, at a study that did have enough power. This is the program that I volunteered for in, uh, while I was in medical school. Um, again, it's called Team Medical Academy or TMA. So this program had monthly sessions, and they were geared towards ethnic minority students from economically disadvantaged uh, schools. And the study, again, like other programs and like I did, uh, they were looking at whether this program was associated with greater interest, confidence, belongingness, and achievement motivations as related to health careers. Um, and so they used self-administered surveys that were mailed to all 361 students who had applied in the last three years. Um, and they used a four-point Likert type scale. They ended up having an N of uh, 232. And 
with the columns, uh, they're, they're divided into those who were not accepted into the program, accepted and not completed the program, and those who completed the program. And their results show the, the results um, that had significance were included in red. And it showed that the greater participation in TMA independently and significantly predicted greater interest in medical and allied health care, health careers, greater confidence uh, in ability to achieve a health career, and greater sense of belongingness in a health career. Um, they also found that in this study that higher GPA and greater um, involvement in extracurricular health career programs were also positively associated. And um, again, whereas increasing age was negatively associated with, with outcome variables. Um, so in my opinion, like the two in the middle are important if we want to help URM students enter the pipeline and prevent a leaky pipeline. But I also think that this belongingness or fitting in is um, also important in influencing the views and experiences of residents and fellows. Um, and these views and experiences are what the last part of my presentation is about. Um, so here, I've always been treated well. I've gotten at this institution, and, and I'm very grateful for that. But I've gotten several comments that I don't think I would have gotten if there was more diversity here. Um, so JAMA recently published this article, and it's a qualitative uh, study, um, and they, the, they interviewed um, URM residents using a semi-structured uh, interview. Um, some of the limitations of this study were that they only had 27 uh, residents from 21 different uh, institutions um, participate in this study, and there were... Not, there was not much representation from Latinx or um, other minorities. Most of the, the ones that were participated were black. But the themes that were identified in this study mirrored other studies and also reflected some of the views and experiences that, that I've had. Um, so there were three major themes from this study. Um, one, that there was a daily barrage of microaggressions and bias. Two, that... Um, URM students were tasked as race and ethnicity ambassadors, again, uh, referring to this minority tax, and that they had um, issues with negotiating professional and, professional, uh, professional and personal identity. And so within this study, under uh, microaggressions and bias, they included things like assumption of lower status, um, which has happened to many of my female colleagues. Um, there's barriers to reporting discrimination, um, exotization, which means seeing someone as exotic. And so I have pretty th thick skin. You know, I don't, I can brush things off pretty easily, but, you know, there have been random strangers that have stopped my wife in the grocery store just to say, oh, I love the color of your, your kid's skin. It's so beautiful. Like, they must get it from their dad. I'm like, we don't even know you. Like, why are you saying these things? Um, and some of the things that I've also encountered here is that I, I can't tell you how many times I've been confused with Zan. Um, <laughs> if I had a dollar for every time I was confused with him, I'd still be a poor resident. But um, And then there was one uh, point, one time in a clinic where I saw a patient and his mother, and 
she told me, oh, I've met you before. I said, no, I didn't. She's like, yeah. She said, it was at nights. I said, no, that was Zen. No, remember, you told me you were from Pakistan. <laughs> oh, it gets better. I said, no, I'm from Texas. She's like, oh, even worse. <laughs> I said, oh, so tell me how your son's doing. But, um, and then I've also you know, been told things like, you're not Mexican-Mexican. Um, and there was one time, this, was, this one I'm not proud of, uh, someone asked me, so did your mom, like, make you Mexican food every day? And I think I was caught off guard, and it was kind of a bad day, and I said, did your mom make you bland, unseasoned food every day? <laughs> so... So I think diversity is important. I think some of these comments wouldn't come about if there was more diversity here. Um, now there's been lots of times I've told Zan, man, we just need more brown people here. But, um, and the second part, again, is, is part of the minority tasks. Like, um, I, I did this project because I was, wanted to, but a lot of times other students um, are asked to do things at the detriment of their success. And um, there's also this pressure to kind of assimilate as far as the negotiating professional and personal identity. Um, some, uh, some people from this study said that they've been told that their natural hair color or hair, natural hair is not professional. And again, I've been treated very well here, but sometimes I can't help but feel like I don't belong because there's not many people who look like me or who come from the same background. Um, and I know that's part of me, but it's still hard not to feel like an imposter sometimes. Um, so where do we go from here? Um, we've looked at some of the context of diversity in medicine, uh, the pilot project that I did, and um, some of the views of residents and, um, and URM residents. So my hope is that there's more institutional commitment uh, to diversity and inclusion. Maybe in the future it could be part of the... In, the institutional mission statement for the entire hospital and not just part of their diversity mission. But what can we do now? Um, we can ask ourselves some of these hard questions, like why do we treat certain families and patients differently? Um, we can think twice about asking URM students being ambassadors. And URM students should be part of the conversation, but shouldn't be the only ones working to increase diversity. It should be everyone's problem. So we can also include it uh, in small parts in our everyday life. Um, one thing I like to do, especially with my low SES kids, is like put my stethoscope in their ears and say, what do you hear? And let, have them listen to their heart and say, what do you hear? And they usually say something like bump, bump, or some variation, and then I smile really big. It's like, wow, now you can be a doctor, and they have this big grin on their face. Um, so I, I encourage you to make diversity, inclusion, part of your daily life. Put that stethoscope on that little kid with a Superman shirt. Help him gain confidence and feel like he fits in. Strive to decrease the opportunity gap and make uh, the, road to health care, uh, the road to a health career more equitable so he can go back to Texas and decrease health disparities. Um, and finally, I want to thank those who have helped me with my grand rounds. I really wanted to put everyone on here who has helped me to, who has contributed to my education. Uh, you really all have made it difficult to leave. Um, it truly is bittersweet 
this, this, I've lived in many places, and not, I can't say all of them have felt like home, and this has. Um, so I will miss this place. I will miss this pe people. And thank you. Any questions? Eventually, trainees, residents from these groups, minor minority mm -hmm. groups, go back to communities like themselves, mm -hmm. I guess is the way to put it, that, that they would serve then. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in the uh, data that support that statement. Is that an impression, or are there numbers to support? There are numbers. I don't have them off the top of my head, but there are studies that show that URM students do go um, go back to communities that are similar to theirs. Um, unfortunately, I just I can't remember off the top of my head, and I just didn't have uh, enough time for the presentation to include everything in there, and so that's just one of the things that I didn't include in there. But there are mm -hmm. there are numbers. Mm -hmm. I don't know how great those studies are, but there are some numbers. That was wonderful, Will. Um, you mentioned that it's hard to recruit young men or teenage boys to come yeah. to the yeah. program, and uh, why do you think that is, and what is there to do about it? I have no idea. Like, I've, I tried to look up some of the information on that, but it just, I couldn't find any, any research, but also any thoughts as to why that was happening. But, um, um, as far as uh, African American black matriculants, they now are like two thirds of the 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 ones that go into medical school, whereas males are just one third. But I, I couldn't find anything. Uh, yes. Uh, well, thank you. Um, an early slide looking at Geisel mm -hmm. admissions um, and representation of URMs. There was uh, something that really interested me. Mm -hmm. It was the acceptance rate yes. of offers. And the overall acceptance rate um, was about 33%. Mm -hmm. But the acceptance rate of URMs was around 20%. Mm -hmm. that... um, and I was wondering if you had any thoughts about ways that, and, and how we frame this question, reflect my mind, how to. Increase the, um, the, the Except capture rate. You mean, you mean matriculation rate? I saw that slide too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matriculation, acceptance of offers. This actually came drops significantly among at least the African American. Yeah. yeah. So you're talking about those who accepted the offer? Yeah. There's yeah. There was a, there was a yeah. third who yeah. accepted, but not nearly proportional when they actually right. matriculated. Yeah. Yeah. That. So, so either how can we compete better? For a limited number of URM, yeah. obviously things can yeah. the pool, or, and or do have some thoughts about this environment, um, which you touched on I, personally. I I, I will. Um, so I think a part of that is difficult. This is uh, a different type of location. Even if there's not very much diversity, it's very rural, um, and I I think we even have difficulty recruiting any type of. <laughs> students, matriculants, <laughs> faculty, and not just URMs. But the other part is um, 
there, part of that is that there's not much diversity in this area. And it is something that I thought about before coming here. Um, like, I really thought hard. Do I really want to be in a place that I don't, I don't feel like there's much representation? And, and it's not any, anybody's necessarily fault, but I don't know. I think part of that is the reason I did come was because of the faculty and the residents who seemed so down to earth. And um, part of how I got to where I got to is being uncomfortable and pushing myself and being in places that I don't think I necessarily should be, or not necessarily should be, but thought like there are others like me there, you know. So just to um, just to follow up on that, we just Kathy and Carolyn and I and uh, Kelly and Sid just got back from ACPD, and so the program directors meeting, and there's been a lot of discussion over the last probably five years about how to recruit URMs to various locations, and this year there was a different perspective kind of starting to bubble up, which is um, whether or not it's ethical for us to be spending so much time and energy trying to recruit this very small pool of candidates when perhaps those resources could be better used earlier in the pathway to, as John said, really try yeah. to sort of expand this pool of applicants. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about that, and, and I don't know in a place like where we are, where there is such a such little diversity, basically, are there ways that we can begin to address that opportunity gap sort of yeah. earlier in the pipeline? Yeah. Your project is an example, but you have other ideas yeah. about how we can get it. So I think it's difficult from, I guess, just an institutional, like Dartmouth or the residency or fellowship programs here. Um, I think it's difficult um, because part of that, yes, pipeline programs can help, but part of the reason there's such a huge... Um, difference in opportunity gap is starting from public schools and 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 those schools that have mostly minority students are the schools that have the least amount of resources so I don't think you can use those resources from medical school or residency to apply those to to high schools middle schools and elementary schools I think it would have to come from kind of like a policy standpoint nationally I, I don't. I don't know. I don't have any ideas. This is this is the, and just kind of um, been used as the best practice. Like there hasn't been really other things that we have known to help. Just wondering if um, in your work you came across pipeline projects in other fields. Um, they are. Mental health. Or yeah. And if there, you know, are there are there differences in terms of impacts? In different um, fields? I, I don't know about the impact, but there are pipeline programs for all all um, um, disciplines of healthcare. So um, PhD programs, they have pipeline programs. Or science, technology, um, engineering, and math. The STEM programs have pipeline programs. I know uh, some nursing and just other types have programs as well. I just don't know the numbers and how effective they are. I just didn't have um, uh, enough space to include it and to kind of look up that data as well. Nice job, Hoel. Um, through your pilot, through this grand rounds, you're making your mark and you're part of the change that we need. So nice job. Um, a question, and actually a couple of questions. Um, what are you going to do? I can, I can. 
I can. This is easier. <laughs> and then maybe it's an invitation. Let's think about how to continue your pilot editing. Yeah. We'll keep the door open for other residents. Yeah. Perhaps going down to Manchester through community pediatrics. And I wonder if you've talked with anybody yet. Uh, and if not, let's throw the, the invitation. Yeah, I haven't talked to him. Yeah. I want to say my question so you get a question because that would be my question. <laughs> What's your question? Um, well, let me. Uh, what I wonder about is, in, in addition to the programs, the role of mentorship, yeah. the specific relationship that can spark ongoing yeah. interest and, um, and development. So that's a part of a lot of programs. Uh, I didn't, this was a pilot project, so we did give them uh, our email addresses and they could answer, ask us questions. I didn't have anybody email me, but I think um, it's harder for high school students, so I think that would be on part of like the medical students or the residents, fellows who pursue that mentorship and say, hey, let's meet. Um, because, you know, I wouldn't have, you know, if someone gave me their email, I still would have been like, oh, I don't want to bother them. Um, so I, I think that is an important factor. I think that helps a lot um, uh, guide these high school students. So I think, and I think they're open to it. Um, I talked to, uh, when I talked to Miss uh, Terigny, she said they would like to have this uh, program again if it's possible, and um, they'd be okay with us talking to their students as well. So I'll pick up on that Resident-driven is exciting, but residents turn over every three years yeah. to put it to the assembled masses. So it can't all just be seen with those community yeah. pediatrics. I think a faculty mentor here would probably help for sustainability. So, so, so think about yeah. it. And one of the... Um, at Team Medical Academy, well, and just any of the organizations that I was, uh, that were at medical school I went to, um, they tended to have more longevity because you know, they were there longer as far as med students, but they also had a faculty advisor that was part of it. So I'm, I'm not opposed to that. Whatever is more sustainable. <laughs> we'll just have to keep yeah. something for yeah. us. Thank you very much.